The only thing I plead guilty to is being innocent. <laughs> Law school was hard, but at least it wasn't 6.5 years. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. I literally, you guys, I've been told it's Andy's girls. I have no idea where I am right now, but <laughs> I know when I talk to this person, I feel like I'm home. So there we go. I feel the same way. I mean, just like we're just like gritting at each other. Uh, this is going to be quite a fucking episode because y'all should know I just walked in the door from the sentencing from Jen Shaw's sentencing this morning, which I 100% was at. And so we're going to talk about all of it. But there's literally no one I could mention it all with but today's guest hot off the heels of ag live which we did last night so he fun. asked we need to talk about how all of your predictions came to pass welcome back to andy's girls legal analyst former federal prosecutor deputy district attorney but that's okay i'll take it deputy <laughs> district attorney i literally wrote down federal What's the difference between um, federal prosecutor and deputy district attorney host of the uber popular show, The Emily Show, Emily D. Baker? What's the difference between law and other law? Is that the feds would get really salty if you called a state level prosecutor a fed. Um, federal prosecutors work in the federal criminal system. State prosecutors work in the state system. So I worked in the county of Los Angeles, largest prosecuta prosecutorial agency, you know, ever it's LA County's huge but the feds work in the federal criminal system state works in the state system so we have a lot of laws in the U.S. and so you can be charged with a crime in California or New York or New Jersey or you can be charged with a federal crime and so Jen Shaw uh, ran afoul of the Southern District of New York they like prosecuting fraud crimes the Southern District of New York loves a high profile they love a high profile case. They're like, did you even whisper the word New York once we've got jurisdiction? Let's go. They're ready. So I gotta say, being in the room where it happened, the government, as uh, Judge Stein called them, as yes. they call themselves, there was some powerful speaking taking place. Oh, it's, yes. I wish there was a video of it because the 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 use of language and sass in some of their responses really got to the heart of the matter especially in you know the creation of a new gen as presented by her defense but listen before we get into all of that and i have so many questions for you i have to know what is your reaction to her sentencing of six and a half years uh which she'll report to i believe if i remember correctly and i was literally just february, there yes. february 17th yes i think judge stein said yes what's I your reaction um, I, first of all, I can't wait to hear every morsel <laughs> of detail from being yeah. in court. Have you been in court for hearings before like this? Never been. Oh, only time to talk about that. Only literally the only time I've been to a courthouse as an adult was when I was declining the opportunity to do jury duty pre COVID. <laughs> um, but Prior to that, my dad was the entirety of his career as a civil litigator. I remember going to court with him. He was doing some sort of like mock trial. I remember we, uh, I was raised in Rhode Island with like, I think 
uh, Roger, what is it? Roger Williams University, maybe, or something like their law school. He that was surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. He was like helping them. So I was in court just like, what the fuck is happening? While he was with law students, doing you things. know, doing things. But that was it. I was, I spent a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time at his law office, but never at court. Yeah. Um, so that was fascinating. I love this. So my, Reaction, given what the other defendants were defendants were sentenced to, I'm not surprised. I thought mm. maybe the judge would go up a bit from 78 months, but, you know, while it could have been between 6 and 10, it was realistically going to be between 6 and 8. I would have been much more surprised if the judge went below 6. Then you would get me being like, oh, that is, that is surprising to me. But given the amount of restitution and the forfeiture that's already happened and the fact that she has no prior criminal record... I'm not shocked that he kept this in line with other defendants. Jen is not getting off light because she's a celebrity. She's not getting sentenced to more because she's a celebrity. She's getting sentenced commensurate with what the other defendants got sentenced to. And so I'm not really surprised by that. Only one defendant was sentenced to more time in any of these um, fraud schemes at all. And I need to go back and check and see if they have a prior criminal record because that would be a very easy explanation for why. So I believe that they did yeah. because it was something that the judge and government referenced. They both said, the judge said essentially, listen, I'm not going to do the government's recommendation. I'm not going to do uh, Jen's team's recommendation. We're going to find our way in the middle. So let's chat. He, he was essentially yes. like, tell me what you're thinking, but I'm going to give you the through line here so that we can cut to the chase of like, why do you feel like there should be a variance? Yes. And so Jen's team was like, this is why. And the government's team was like, hold up one second. Yeah. And they made the point that essentially what the judge said in the government both agreed on was the fact that she was definitely helped by not having a criminal record. She yes. would have been fucked um, if she did. Yes. And it's interesting because people will look at a federal case like this and be like, but it says it goes back to 2012. Yes. But the government chose to charge one conspiracy from 2012 to 2021, not separate individual crimes, not separate individual defendants. So it's not as if she's facing uh, you know, 60, 70 charges. She's not facing 10. She was facing two charges and one was being dismissed. So mm -hmm. in the scheme of things that this federal judge sees to sentence, this is on the less significant end. It doesn't mm -hmm. feel that way to the individual victims, but when you take the totality of sentencing and that's what judges do, they try to keep it consistent so that sentence don't sentences don't vary wildly across the system. If you get charged with this type of fraud with this level of loss with this many defendants in Utah or New York, your sentence should be relatively the same, all other factors considered, because each defendant is considered individually. So I'm not shocked. This judge seems to be no BS, though. Did you enjoy the judge? The judge was like, what we're not doing is three years. Don't. <laughs> His temperament was really kind in a way that I was surprised by. I know we did AG Live last night and there was a discussion because a lot of people have been hearing like, this judge is really lenient because I think it's something that maybe one content creator said and then it spread like wildfire. So I don't know about the judge's record in any way. What I do know is that he definitely seemed to have a lot of respect and honestly compassion 
for the position that Jen's team was in, really the the position her family was in. He commended her kids and said, you're in medical school. That's excellent. You're doing fantastic. You're a football star. Um, you know, you're, you seem like terrific kids. Your parents did a great job. He noted the family. He noted that Sharif was there. He said to Jen at one point, you know, like people are complicated. <laughs> like he truly yeah. was like, you're not all bad. There is good here. But also he very clearly and gently, the tone of his voice was gentle, gentle, but it's like, you're going to fucking listen to him at certain points when the defense was like, she made a mistake. She experienced trauma. She got so attracted to the bells and whistles of Lux and glam that she fell into this thing. And he was like, she didn't fall into it. She created yeah. it. She led it. And you're telling me she's sorry. Why? Yeah. Let's and not, let's not pretend. Like, let's not pretend. And you know, this might surprise some, but that's not unusual at sentencing that judges judges are very well aware of the impact that putting yeah. someone in prison has not just on them but the ripple impact and they're very much aware of the impact that can't be undone to the victims but also how much impact do you do to this defendant and does it make things worse like the system's not meant to be retribution in most cases it's meant to be rehabilitation um so really, when you're looking at nonviolent crimes, it's not surprising to see a judge have compassion because it is, yeah, this is going to be hard. Yeah. You know, you made these choices and you don't have to to rip a person apart to still sentence them for the choices that they made. And that's really what the system is supposed to focus on. You made these decisions and you did these actions. We're not judging you as a person, but these actions this is the consequence. And we saw that in the Chrisley sentencing where the judge said, I understand the impact to your family. I get it. But also these things happened and we're not ignoring that these things happened. And that's not unsurprising that the judge was empathetic. I've only really seen judges lose it on defendants in, in really horrific violent crimes. That's when I've seen judges just, just lean into people and say, no, this is some of the most horrendous and heinous conduct I've ever seen. And that is generally reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. And, and, and this doesn't, doesn't kind of compare to that. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, it was, it, to me, it was surprising to see how still everyone was like when the court, the federal courthouse or whatever is so fucking big that of course I like, see, I was like, oh, there's nobody here. It was raining this morning. So I was Great. like, oh, that actually helps me when I hauled my ass out of bed at 615 to fucking get there yep. um, to make sure I was super early at like eight. Good uh, for you. Even though court. Yeah, thank you. I'm so, yeah, I'm so I was like, honestly, honestly, AGs were like, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. And I felt a responsibility to wake my ass yeah. up I'm so I'm still so bummed because I I enjoy being in court and I enjoy mm. watching the nuance of the lawyers and how they're speaking how they interact with each other and seeing if you can get a sense it's there's a feeling to being in court and federal courthouse they have a much more stoic feeling yes. than the hustle and bustle of like a state level courthouse when you go to a hearing in like the Britney Spears in Stanley Mosque there's a hustle and bustle of that courthouse it's very busy federal courts houses are much more stoic they tend to be a bit more formal the food's always better the elevators are less crowded there's much more marble and like stone on the walls they're very formal it felt formal and it felt stoic and you know I was like trying to figure out which entrance was the right one to go into and I heard the laughter of five to six 
you know, Jen whatever's outside. And I said, this is where I should be. So I walked up to them and I was like, I have a feeling you're here for Jen sentencing. And they laughed and said yes. Yeah. And shortly thereafter, we were let in by one of the security people who said essentially, welcome to the airport where everything is removed. <laughs> exactly my is. I took off my yeah. shoes. I went through it. They looked through everything. And I had known prior that phones weren't going to be allowed in the courtroom. So I had made peace with the fact that I wouldn't be able to do Instagram stories live and text yeah. people freaking out um, and also do audio recordings, uh, which I wanted to do yeah, um, none, with people. None of that before, is allowed Not, not, general, recording, not yeah. recording in the courtroom, sorry, interviews with yeah. people outside, uh, audio interviews. So they took the phones. We go up to the courtroom um, and are waiting outside for a solid, like maybe an hour and a half, a very, very chill vibe. For the majority of that time, there were not many people there. I would say like maybe 20 people and that's interesting yeah and like 40 percent of us were press yeah so um but I was seated next to because there was like a little chair I was next to Sharif's mom who a reporter went up to and said do you want to comment she said no and then Jen's family started to arrive so Omar walked in her younger son Sharif Jr Sharif Sr also known as Coach Shah got there and um, one of the reporters went up to Coach Shaw trying to get a comment. He, of course, was like, absolutely not. Whatever he said, if he said no comment or just remained quiet, I don't know. But then the family went from sort of being mixed with these attendees, mm -hmm. including Bravo fans, to the other side of the hallway yeah. and of the room where they remained until we were let in. It's very awkward, the, the mixing of people you can get in a yes. courtroom hallway because- the government can often come in through the the back entrance and come into the courtroom through a back entrance, not through the same front doors as the public. But often the defendant's family and the public will be mixing in the hallway, which can cause very uncomfortable and awkward moments mm. and sometimes extremely uncomfortable and awkward moments, um, depending on the type of case. So I'm not surprised that that there was that moment of asking for a comment because the thing I appreciate about reporters, and I'm definitely not a reporter, is they don't hesitate to shoot their shot even when it's- Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> I would never. I would never be like, um, excuse me, can I ask? I'm like, oh God, this must be so uncomfortable for them. When it comes to points of awkwardness between victims and the person being accused or sentenced for whatever crime- what uh, the government raised in their remarks was an awareness that they went to a few to visit a few victims all over the country in California and a few other states and said that these were people who were grievously harmed by Jen's crimes, that they were people who were crying and emotional and essentially still traumatized and still dealing with you know, financial harm that has been done uh, against them that they may never recover from. There are people's lives that will never go back yep. to the way they were before as a result of this. And something he noted was, you know, they sent in letters because they couldn't travel, even if they wanted to. Their age was prohibitive to for they felt they were uncomfortable traveling because of age and because of covid and it makes you think jen targeted and her group targeted vulnerable people and you see the way that that very vulnerability still affects them even in watching this person be brought to justice it's incredibly sad it it really is and i did a lot of fraud prosecutions um there weren't as many prosecutors eager to do 
um, fraud cases and paper cases as there are to do gang cases and, and more violent cases, because it's just not, it's not what, what kind of moves your career forward generally, but it's what I was interested in. And there is always, um, a commonality amongst, amongst victims of, um, a level of embarrassment, a level of shame, a level of regret, and then years long processes to fix credit reports to fix financial damage. If it, there's identity theft involved to, to get your identity back, it's not something that they recover from quickly. And in fact, there are, are victims of, of assaults that are like, you know what? I've, I, my body is healed. I have gone to therapy and I am working through it that are able to move on faster than a lot of victims of financial crime. Cause a lot of victims of assault don't blame themselves where a lot of financial crime victims do have a level of shame and, and self self blame, which is not warranted, but you feel like you've been duped. Like you could have just said no. And, and it's hard because they can't, cause you're targeted because you won't. And that's, that's a really hard thing, especially with an older population feeling not technologically advanced and not feeling like they're keeping up um, and wanting to keep up and then not being able to, or wanting to tell family and not to want to admit that you've lost this money. It's, it's very, very difficult. And the shame is a huge component to it, which is why people are targeted in financial crimes because they're mm -hmm. unlikely to say anything. It really is um, truly a sad and difficult thing. And we didn't see a lot of that in this case until we saw those letters in the sentencing submission. Like, you know, it's there, but you see the human stories in the sentencing submissions of people losing retirements and well into their retirement, losing their retirements. So it's, it's, it really is tough. And the use of the victim's upset being used by the defense as a way to say Jen is pleading guilty. She pled guilty because she is now aware of what she's done. That was you're a now moment aware. That Wait, you're now aware. I need you to tell me more. So the defense was arguing that part of uh, the reason that she pled guilty at the time that she did was because when the government submitted all of their documents, exhibits, whatever, you'll tell me the right words, um, when they submitted all of this evidence, it was only then that Jen really put, uh, Jen really came to terms with the harm she had caused. She, um, you know, names or situations, uh, upset, circumstances, specifics. It was then that she realized she needed to plead guilty as a way of taking ownership for her responsibility, which the judge immediately was like, mm -hmm. LOL, the reason you did that, you're telling me she came to terms with that and not because of the mounting evidence that was presented. You're uh -huh. telling me that she's understanding and pleading and taking responsibility only because she's seeing the harm she caused and not because she understands she would just, he didn't say this part, this is me, like she would lose a fucking shit ton of money on a losing case, on a losing battle, going to court, like having a trial. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical because I think the realization was, oh, they have victims of my specific company. This isn't just some victims of some company that we can distance. Mm. These are victims of my specific company. And you have a co-defendant in Stuart Smith who's going to tie those victims to this company. And we've seen the text messages where she is pushing people to continue to move forward with these victims. So what the defense attorney is likely to explain to Jen Shaw is, 
exactly how would you like me to cross-examine a 78-year-old who's lost their retirement yeah. savings? And how would you like me to grill them about whether they're saying this because you're a woman or because you are a, a woman of color? How would you like me to approach that cross-examination without the jury absolutely hating me and hating you? So I think that's the conversation that the attorney is able to have with Jen when you have those impact statements. But she would she didn't plead until literally the last possible moment before going to trial. Yeah, there was a term that defense used of conscious avoidance in the way <laughs> oh, that she she is a she is detached she has detached herself from reality. I mean, it was Jen's version of consciously uncoupling from pleading innocent, like the idea Disengaged of like from reality. <laughs> I'm listen to borrow from Meredith Marks and why not um the ability to say I don't understand what I'm doing but now at this point I do which is interesting considering a point that the judge and government both referenced these text messages of Jen uh, I think the government used the word mocking and the judge was like, let's say belittling, but like Jen making fun of victims, including ones who were crying yeah. about being deceived, that she would communicate with her team and as she's stealing their money and say, LOL. And texting mama needs like mama needs a new bag. So-and-so need ba needs baby mama money. Like I need... I these texts sounded like I need party money on the weekend. Can y'all get a few more people on the hook and, and bring in the cash? Like she was really treating her victims as her own personal ATM. And so what she says in court after she's been caught and what she says in those text messages, the judge is going to lean into the Jen Shaw in the text messages, not the Jen Shaw in a camel color suit in court feeling contrite. The judge is going to see beyond that and see what the texts are telling. What the texts are telling is that you are coldly saying keep going keep going keep going yeah and yet the way that the defense was trying to present their strategy of her understanding it, it was interesting to see an example of her you know being guilty but like not being engaged and actively harming specific people because they said listen jen didn't even you know talk to these people she didn't she didn't know their names in the middle of this and the judge interrupted and said she didn't know their names because she was so high up she taught all of the people. She was engaging in this crime, including after whatever indictments were happening in like 2019 or whatever else. She continued to engage in this and she didn't need to know their names because she was so successful at this that she was at the topmost tier. He I'm like made the point of saying like, I'm not going to get into if she's in a or two or a or one or whatever it is like yeah right he was like at the end of the day she was at the very top of this and there are direct and a huge numbers of examples of the active work she did not only in teaching other people how to crime but also in, also in obstructing justice and yep. telling people lie to the FTC do all these things like she was she seemed i guess surprised when there was an indictment or something that took place at one point like there's the ability for Jen to say it was just dollars and cents cuz i wanted to buy a possibly counterfeit bag 
there's that. And then there's also the idea of like, but what are all of these other examples specifically of your behavior, not of what, how you were telling us you really are. She's, she, there was a lot of narrative around trauma that she experienced and the ways that she was using money and escapism to fill a hole, which was a direct phrase. I think that, uh, the defense used and there's an understanding of that, but people can shop and have bad credit. It doesn't mean there's plenty of us who try to fill else's. a hole to our own detriment. No one else's. <laughs> I mean, I'm recording in the clothes. Do you see all these fucking dresses? I mean, it's I not, call it pleasure. So in many terms of us of no have savings. trauma, and we we manage to work through it without committing crime and without defrauding others. It's, it's not a surprise to me that her defense attorney, this is her defense attorney's job to present Jen in the light, most favorable to the judge and the judge is going to see through it. But it's interesting, this kind of willful ignorance. It's like, well, she was so high up. She didn't talk to these victims. She's getting text messages that they're crying. And she's like, do better. Like, have you lost your touch? Jen's doing more damage because she's not the one on the phone. In that time, she's got 10 plus people on the phone doing much more damage because there's scale to it. It's not just her. She's perpetrating fraud at scale. And that's, I think it sounds like what the judge is kind of denoting in that, yeah, of course she doesn't know. These are just, these aren't people to her. This is Mm. a payday to her. And so, yes, maybe it became more real when she saw the victim statements, but Jen's attorney went to court after we saw fraud victims in the Shawshanker documentary. And Jen was like, don't her attorneys in court, these aren't even victims of this crime and they're not allowed to put it out and it needs to be taken down. They were pissed about it. So why not a realization then of how victims of fraud crimes feel? Because it was on Hulu. We know you saw it. Yeah. And you know, that gets into the conversation of like, what does it mean to be a famous person going through this, attempting to say, that your fame is almost one of the punishments that you will be receiving because everyone is watching Jen. So not only is that a deterrent to her being, you know, a criminal in the future, but that's kind of a punishment in and of itself. Like it's the judge is like you're being on TV on a show that you chose to be on because now it's embarrassing on a bigger scale for you. Is that, is that, am I hearing that properly? Funny you should mention that TV show she's on because there was a moment that Judge Stein clarified what the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City actually was that gave me pause. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. It was, it was, (laughs) everybody was kind of contradicting themselves. It was at that point that I wished uh, the government was like, wait, I have Hulu Plus and I (laughs) uh, might know a little bit more on this. He said, um, just looking at my notes, he said, uh, you know, when it comes to the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, what is happening on TV is a character your client plays on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which I guess is why the court is so full. And then a couple of us giggled. <laughs> he said, it's a character. Oh, it's so the acting. judge is buying into this like Jen Shaw's yes. exaggerated version of herself on TV. He's he's playing into the idea of like, regardless of the person standing in front of me today and LOL on me using the word regardless, the thing, the TV show is not reality TV. He <laughs> said literally, which I guess why court is full. It's a character. It's acting. It's role playing, editing and a 
highly or tightly, sorry, I can't read my scribble, uh, tightly, let's say, scripted production. <gasps> scripted? Oh, Bravo's been slandered. <laughs> I mean, which is something she herself tried to say in her own statement She when she was like, my tagline wasn't even created by me. They made me say these things. And it's like, babe. Bravo made me do it. Bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. The idea that the women don't create the taglines is not breaking news. That is something that I think is understood by a lot of people. You're given a few different, you might record a few different options. It's something that production gives you but it's like she's saying you know this the the sassiness in the tagline that I said even this season it's not me someone is um it came up with that but then I'm thinking in my head sitting in my seat in the middle of the courtroom like but you're acting in a way they come up with the taglines as a theme for your storyline and behavior if you the judge discussed the free gen merch and the all of that. that And he was like, where is that money going? Do you are you still selling it? Because it was obviously a huge problem for him because you're making this stuff into a performance. So for me, watch it and a mockery. And for me watching this, I'm like, wow, he's giving her a real break in saying she's not. Uh, she's playing a scripted part. I'm going to take you based on the evidence presented in who you are today. But so much of who she is today is directly unrelated to the gen that is being shown in court documents, which is more closely related to the gen we see on TV than the gen she has been performing or whatever or being since July of 2022 when she changed her plea. Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat, there was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. 
the lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. I mean, when I saw the government's submission and then TMZ obtained those documents immediately or had them already because they knew mm. what was coming one or the other. And I don't think the government would give them to TMZ, but the people who went to the government might have already contacted TMZ. That is purely me speculating, but they had those documents very quickly and put the allegations out there that Jen's like getting in a car at 2.30 a.m. and banging on somebody's door. When I read that, my first thought was not, oh, I'm shocked. That doesn't sound like Jen at all. I'm like, oh, is this season one, Jen? Because season one, Jen, I can see having an unhinged rant at 2.30 in the morning on somebody. I can I can absolutely picture it based on behavior we saw on the show. But it's so interesting because Jen Shaw's attorneys laid the groundwork for this argument in submitting motions saying the show is Franken edits and it's not really her. But then they leaned into the show in their sentencing memo saying she saw the show as a fresh start and a way to rebuild herself and to portray business women and to put these causes. So they they do both. They lean into the show as a positive and then they blame the show as a negative. It's 
an interesting use. And the show, of course, has no voice. Like Bravo producers aren't in court. Like, could you imagine Andy in court being like, excuse me, your honor, as a friend of the court, um, that's not accurate. <laughs> oh, I 100% think that if they had producers during that trial, which my guess is they would have, it would have been to rebut the idea that this is a scripted show. It would have been to say, no, the gen that you might be seeing in court documents or, or unrelated to that, here's only my experience, yeah. which is this woman doing X, Y, and Z when the cameras were up and the cameras were down. And it was so interesting to me to see the ways that the defense and judge both seem to agree that the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City totally produce, totally <laughs> produce. She's playing a character. It has nothing to do with her until or and yet the defense then said, and as you'll see in upcoming episodes, you know, Jen really shows the no. uh yeah, that her contribution on the finale shows her remorse. No, I, no, the yes. show the show is not Jen until we want it to be. <laughs> which I was like, I'm literally turning to myself inside and I'm like, is anybody else seeing the fact that this is incredibly hypocritical and doesn't make sense? And also there was a point of like trying to figure out how was she was going to start repaying some of the millions of dollars that she now owes. And the judge asked her, like, what's your plan? And a part of what her lawyer said was like, well, there are future episodes coming. That money, it was, a, I mean, if you watch the Johnny Depp trial, it was like a pledge. Like she was She's pledging. pledging. She's pledging money from future episodes. And I'm thinking in my head, what future guys, episodes, cameras are down. Regardless from that, there is the finale. And then however many reunion episodes, she didn't film the reunion. Right. So you're telling me she's going to this in this grand form of like figuring out how this stuff is going to be repaid. You're going to give them the check for the finale episode. There's you have nothing else Wouldn't related to this. Paid, even if it hasn't aired yet wouldn't she have already been paid for the season isn't that a check that's been cashed did she say that she's still in the cast when the judge asked you're still in the cast I, I don't saw, remember I saw on Twitter you're still in the cast I saw on Twitter um from inner city press the judge saying how will you raise six million in restitution and Jen saying my manager is here we're working on things and the judge said while in prison and she said yes and he said you're still in the cast and she said yes I don't remember you're still in the cast Okay, But I do know that there has been some slight confusion about the manager stuff. And so essentially, to my understanding, what had happened was uh, her defense was arguing that she had plans in place to repay some of this millions of dollars in restitution. And one of the people who was in attendance was her manager. And the judge asked, like, what what are your plans specifically to pay? They did not have a direct answer of how she was going to pay this money. Yeah, Jen then said know. something along the lines of like, I have projects like I'm talking to people and my manager is here as if to say, there is stuff being discussed and we are aware that all of that money would be to repay the victims. The judge then referenced the manager later on and said, listen, I'm very concerned that you're referencing the manager because I want to make sure that you're not making money off of this. You literally are not allowed yeah. to make any money off and benefit crimes. off their crimes, which is a 
uh, an obvious but very gray area. Gray let's line. pretend that she had not been sentenced to jail and and let's pretend Bravo wanted to continue working with her. If she was on Salt Lake City next season, one could potentially argue that part of her storyline would be about these crimes. And in essence, she would essentially be making money from that. I mean, I you could know. argue it, it already has, gray. though. You could argue yeah. it already has. Her entire storyline since the feds descended on Beauty Lab and Laser has been about will she, won't she, what's going to happen, you know, justice for Jen Shaw selling merch. So you can argue the infamy of this court case has raised her stature in the public, or at least raised, I guess, stature is the wrong word, her notoriety. Um, people are more aware of Jen Shaw because of this case. So you could argue it is profiting off of the case and the crimes. Half of BravoCon, and we were both there, but half of the news surrounding BravoCon was, did Jen Shaw arrive? Where was she? What was she right. doing? She wasn't at the event in an official capacity. And the news cycle was completely taken over by what is Jen Shaw doing? Um, only edged slightly by what was going on in Beverly Hills. But the fact that Jen Shaw's presence or non-presence overshadowed the news cycle so much shows you how interested people are because of this ongoing court case. We know people love court cases. We've seen that over and over again. So there is definitely an argue she's profited. And I wasn't sure when they were talking manager and maybe you know, or maybe it wasn't clear. Is this like a business manager who's dealing with the finance or a talent manager who's like, no, no, we got her booked for an interview at three. My understanding from the way that they were describing it was that it was a talent manager. And then they later clarified because obviously the judge was like, that's no. not okay to me. And they said, well, you know, we, we said he is a manager, but really he's here as a friend. And the, I'm sure they are friends. I I'm positive that this person I don't know is friends with this other person. I'm sure that they're friends. I'm sure that they're friendly, but that's not why you referenced him. You referenced him as specifically for professional reasons. Mm -hmm. So whether or not he's there as a manager or friend is unrelated to the plan that you have in place or that you are saying that you have in place for where this money is going to come from. Like, I don't understand Emily D Baker. Please explain to me where the restitution is going to come from when her job seemingly is no longer a veil. And also PSG's not a veil to do that job for the next six and a half years plus probation. And the, the government pointed out more than once that maybe her taxes were missing hundreds of thousands of dollars of income. So the, the restitution is not the only money she's going to be paying back to the government. Some of the money is going to come from the forfeiture of property, but it also seems that Jen was treating money like a freaking river. It was mm. the cars are leased. The house is leased. It's just, it comes in, it goes out. It, nothing was permanent where the rest of us are like, save the money, put it here, tangible things. So whatever money the government was trying to find, unless of course it is offshore elsewhere and there were money laundering charges in this case. So that's always a question. Um, the money was not tangible. So they can't forfeit the house. The house was rented. They can't forfeit a vehicle. The vehicle was leased. So they grabbed the bags and the jewelry the best they could. Some of them real, some of them counterfeit according to the government. And so forfeiture is part of it, but then she's going to have this restitution order that will come out of joint so it can come out of money that comes into the household and that can come out of Sharif's income as well. But they're also going to have to be mindful of what the IRS might come looking for. 
she can generally work in, in custody. You don't get paid what you would get paid on Real Housewives, but there is work that can be done. Will she write a book about what I've learned? Um, who knows? Will she get paid to do appearances or do appearances where she pays for use of photos? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But she's. I think she's going to try. I don't think just because Jen goes away that we're not going to hear from her anymore, though. There's not um the beauty routine and the makeup and the the um filler routines and there's no shade to any of that do do what you want but that's not available in uh in federal custody. So and I think the problem that Jen is going to face is that while she I'm sure has fan support in general albeit likely limited she doesn't have the kind of support that Teresa did for example where oh. there is a market for Teresa based on a huge foundation of Teresa fans and housewife fans who may or may not be friends with Teresa but will buy a book that she's I mean lol writing but like will buy yeah. a book that she's talking to her ghostwriter about writing like they're it, it's just not the same. Like no. Jen doesn't have that. She doesn't have the promise of it. She's by the way that by the attendees who were again, equal parts, people covering this and fans. Although by the time we got into the courtroom, it was more fan leading than press by the looks of it. People were there because it was an oddity, not because they were there. They to were there for the her. spectacle, not right. because this is their fave. And that makes sense. And Jen doesn't have the history with an audience that a Teresa has, and it might be, and and this might be very, very disappointing to Jen that it might be out of sight, out of mind. It's like, okay, so that happened. She turned herself in in February and we hear no more about it. But with Teresa, I think there was a little bit of distance. A, it wasn't, you know, that they are defrauding widows out of their retirement. It mm -hmm. is a different victim when you're looking at banks. People have a much more complicated relationship when you're looking at a bank. And there's some people that are like, I mean, is it really fraud or is it just giving the banks back what they already do? And then there's the distance of, was it really Teresa or was it Joe being like, sign this, sign that my bitch wife, sign this. Mm. And I think there's a distance for people. And I, I'm one of those people that looks at this and is like, is Teresa masterminding this mortgage lending scheme? No. Is she no. signing her name on the documents? Yes. And, and the signing the name on the documents is enough, but that's why she got much less time in custody. We saw the toll that it took on her and she opened up some on the show about that toll. And I think people can say, you know what, you, you did your time for the thing your husband had you do. And we don't really hold you morally culpable the way that you would hold Jen Shaw morally culpable because it's a very different circumstance. So I do think there was room for Teresa to bounce where there's not really that room for Jen Shaw. And yet on Salt Lake, the kind of questions about culpability are non-existent. It feels like some of these women, seemingly the friends of and like Lisa and Whitney, are almost circling each other, sniffing at the idea of talking about the victims, talking about, do I believe that she has done these things? What does it mean if she's uh, if she um, is, you know, uh, what's it called? If she, if the verdict comes in as guilty at the trial, like there is such a soft dance around this that makes me feel more uncomfortable with it because while housewives is going to be the stories of housewives, while Jen's life is a central part of her time on housewives, it's not the victims. The real housewives is a very different vehicle than 
real life in that sense where I think there's an understanding that the victims here take priority regardless of how you view the spectacle itself within Housewives while Jen understandably so because of obviously her ability to make fun of these people in real time she's not going to be focused on that because she's also saying she's innocent and this is a federal conspiracy there's no counter from the rest of the cast which leaves me thinking that she will win in terms of some public support because they will only see her saying, I feel very sorry. I feel very terrible. This is connected to my trauma. I believed I wasn't responsible for doing these things because of the layers and layers of of um, complicated dynamics that came out through this. It just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And because she's not at the reunion, like I don't, it just all like makes me feel a little weird. It it is an awkward situation, and I I feel for the women on the show in this a little bit, because with like Erica Girardi, you've got articles coming out that are showing for a fact that Tom Girardi stole money from people. There, that is conclusive. We have victims who have not been paid. This is not speculative. They've, you know, the Rigomas family won a judgment against Tom Girardi before this story ever really broke into the public. So you have something that's more concrete that they can question Erica about. With Jen, it is still allegations under the presumption of innocence. And I think the women didn't want to be on the wrong side of that if Jen didn't do this. Like, how hard do we question her if she's still going to trial and she's maintaining her innocence? And I think we discount how charismatic Jen Shaw is and mm. that the women, I don't think want to find themselves on the wrong side. So they're trying to figure out how to navigate what could be very unpopular with the fans. And they don't know when they're filming. What if they're, you know, hammering her and then she's acquitted and they're like, oh my God, I was wrong. And Jen was like, see, we're right. There's, there's a balance to presumption of innocence and how much you ask about it. And there's also a balance to Jen's personality. If you're on the wrong side of Jen on that show, it could be very uncomfortable. But if you're on the right side of Jen, I mean, you're getting champagne poured in your hoo-ha. So, I mean, mm. it's it's got to be a delicate balance for them too. And we never get to see what happens after she pleads guilty with her. And that's the hard thing. I want to see, I want to see the discussions after the guilty plea. And maybe we'll get that in the reunion. I feel like it is it is just honestly so wild. This season has been so fucked that it's just kind of wild for it to end in this way, noting it's unresolved. That it's unresolved. And P.S. There is a certain amount of acceptance of like this is the reality. This thing is happening when you're seated in the courtroom watching yes. it take place. You're like a couple feet away from Jen's family at one point Jen I mean like after the uh court was like out of session or whatever again words are fun um uh, making it up as I go along uh when we were leaving the courtroom I was with Jen and her family just yeah. the direction the flow because it was a small mm -hmm. space so I'm just like everyone's shuffling out very stoic and and quiet Jen cried during part of her statement but that was really it everyone had a very stoic face there was no emotion from any of the 15 or so family members and friends including coach Shaw and it's like the reality hitting you but also understandably the performance 
of what don't you're being advised. Your, yeah, don't right, because that could affect you in, in any way. Even showing upset can um, backfire. Yeah. So it, it is a wild thing to see this and be inside of it, knowing that for the vast majority of people, viewers, content creators, people following it, you'll never see it because it wasn't filmed, streamed, or yeah, recorded. Not, it doesn't feel real. Like it doesn't feel right. resolved. And when Jen Shaw goes to turn herself into federal prison, it's literally someone's going to drive her up to the gate with no jewelry and probably wearing a sweatsuit and drive her up to the gate and drop her off. And she's like, I'm here to check in. Like it's, it's a very weird and surreal thing also to see someone get sentenced and then walk back out of the courtroom. There's no handcuffing them and walking them back no. into custody with federal court. It's like, okay, well, um, enjoy the next month. And, um, and then just, we're going to tell you where to go to prison and then you're going to go to Texas or to Florida or whatever. And if she goes to Texas, that's where Elizabeth Holmes has asked to be as well. So, wow. you know, maybe, God, can you imagine Elizabeth Holmes and Jen Shaw talking business and just, yes, I can. And I'm scared for all of us. <laughs> what will they come up with? It's like, we've got this great idea. We swear this one's going to work. Oh Lord. But Jen will be on, on supervised release. So she'll be on probation when she gets out for a while. But, and so will, so will Elizabeth Holmes, but mm -hmm. it's, it's just this kind of surreal, weird thing. And I've had those moments in court too. The, um, the Lindsay Lohan theft um, cases were all prosecuted in the oh. courthouse I was working at. So I ended up walking out of court and then Michael Lohan walks into the elevator and I'm like in the elevator and he's walking and staring at me. And I'm like, it's so awkward being in this elevator right now. Like I'm in court with the prosecution and then I'm like in the elevator and I'm like, God, I'm never taking the public elevator again, ever. If I can avoid it, I'm just going to take the back elevators. But it's, it's always those weird moments when you end up where you don't expect to be. And, and I'm sure that's a surreal moment for Jen and her family. And I'm disappointed. I was going to wear my camel coat today. I have a beautiful camel oh, coat I bought in London. Matched. I was going to wear all black and camel and she's walking mm -hmm. in in a camel suit. I'm like, we were on the same wavelength. Yeah, we were on the you same wavelength. You were. Meanwhile, camel I literally- right I, meanwhile, I literally threw like what was closest from the floor onto <laughs> my body before I ran into the cab. Um, but when it comes to like what happens after that was like they shuffled out of the courtroom. They got an elevator. Sharif's mom said they're, you know, was saying to a family member. I was obviously listening to the entire conversation. Of that course. They were going to bring uh, Jen and Coach Shaw through a private they were going to take them out privately or something. Yeah, they probably, so then we most courthouses have like a basement where you can get an elevator down to a basement and get in a car and get out. Yeah. Which is what I thought was going to happen. Oh. So the elevator gets down to the first floor. We have this little chip that was given to us. So like you check in your phone, they decide what electronics they're going to take. So they took my AirPods and essentially all electronics. So they took my AirPods and phone, which is no problem. So they give you a chip that you then exchange when you're done with court on your way out. So I go down to get exchange my chip and get my phone back. And Jen is there, just literally right there next to me. Waiting to get um, her phone back. Well, just kind of like hanging out, but being consoled. She's hugging. Uh, she's hugging Coach Shaw. They're having a private moment. He's just honestly holding her. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it just felt like the vibe was still, if that makes any yeah, sense. Like the energy was, it was very still. So I remembered that they said private they were going to take the side exit or 
private exit. I'm thinking it's going to be like a straight down to whatever. Um, so I get my phone and I just kind of like watch to see what's going to happen. And then I go out the side exit thinking that there's potential they will go out here. And also that's where her family all left. So I'm like with her family hanging out at the door and the security's like, you guys got to go. So we walk outside her family. Security, we're a- side dooring. Stop it. I know. I was like, security, hold on. Come I just on. want to see. And maybe I can like attempt to ask her for a comment for something. Yeah. I was like, maybe I could. I had like my cards in my hand. I was mm-hmm. like ready to go. Um. So the her family, I think it was Sharif's mom is like, let's take a photo. So her family and friends take a group photo. Were you were you tempted to be like, do you want me to take it so you all can get in? Because that would totally I be me in that moment. <laughs> I should have. And I, there were two paparazzi people and I was like, oh, only two. Cause I didn't see her entrance. We were already in the courtroom, um, that morning. And she was, I think held in the cafeteria or something, uh, until shortly before, uh, court began. Um, so I'm thinking like, she's going to follow out any second. And like, where is all of the, where's, I thought that there was going to be more media here mm-hmm. upon her departure. Then another, because I was with like the media folks, then the people, we were all like writing, like there's no tomorrow on our legal pads during. And someone walked over and said, oh, she just left. And I was like, what? Weird. And she and Coach Shaw left outside the main entrance where all of the cameras were, which is not, huh. let's say, the private one. No, that's and a choice. That was a real choice and I was not surprised by it but I was also surprised I guess that the family members weren't it's like they were they weren't either included protect- in the plan because right you know it was either like protecting the family or just making sure the spotlight's on the two of them yeah you have a more open runway if you don't have 15 people you don't get lost in the fray I mean what is there to lose now right now you need you need the name recognition to stay in the media for the next month to hopefully book a project or whatever it's going to be to try to make some of that restitution money. She's, she's allowed to work if she clears it with probation. Um, it'll be interesting if she travels. Cause I don't know if she's been clearing travel with the prosecutors, but I mm. suspect if she wasn't, they would have brought it up. If they're like, well, your honor, you know, she's at the Rose bowl. She runs it by no one. We need her to go into custody next week. I think we would have heard that if it hadn't been approved. I'm sure they're getting this approved through. Um, through appropriate channels. But it's interesting to see her just living the life up until like she hops on a plane to go get sentenced. And then you what, hop on a commercial, you get on Delta and go back mm-hmm. to Salt Lake City. It's It's gotta be very surreal. It's like, I was just sentenced to six years in prison, but I have another month to be home. Like, I don't know, there's consulting agencies. I think Joe Judice tried to start one too, that consult how to get ready to transition into prison. I just wonder if this is what she'll be doing for the next month. Well, Get the I nails like off. Our- get well, get any extensions taken out and get ready. I feel like there was a quote unquote understanding that Judge Stein had that if the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City was scripted, at a certain point, the script ends. And I think <laughs> this was like the clue to many of us that like Judge Stein seemed like a lovely guy and incredibly fair. But all of that being said, I don't think he was on the ball about this aspect of who Jen is, who I would argue is a huge part of who Jen is, because she is going to perform this now yes. because it was a performance. I, I don't doubt that she is very upset about the effect on her family. I don't doubt that she is very upset about 
uh, the position she finds us herself in. I don't doubt that she is very upset about what she did, but I do doubt that this is a different Jen that we are supposed to believe. The Jen that we just saw, that I just saw in the courtroom for two hours, is the Jen, the the real Jen or who Jen has become. Because at the point where she could have chosen privacy, because she was just sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison. She could have chosen the side door. She could have chosen the side door. And and if she is if she is arguing that Salt Lake City is highly manufactured and showing her in a light that isn't her, which one would uh, infer from that means it's something she disagrees with as a characterization, something she might find harmful to her reputation. One would think she wouldn't want to be caught by media cameras at one would think would be the worst moment in her life. And yet she made the choice that the Jen Shaw we have seen for years would make. And you know, what's interesting is I'm not going to say I've, I've run away from my problems into, you know, overworking, but you know, I might be familiar with it. I just wonder if it makes it easier for Jen to be like, all right, we're back in work mode. We've got a month. We're going to make this work. And just that again, whatever the the disengaging from the reality of what's coming in February is, okay, I'm jumping into work mode. We're just, we're going to disassociate from what's happening and it will hit her when she's checking into custody. However, I don't think that will serve her well. The mental processing of what the reality of the next five plus years in custody is going to look like for her needs to start being prepared for now. I hope that coach her lawyers or herself or her therapist are able to get through to her. You need to take the next like 30 days and just cocoon with your family and start mentally preparing for what the next five years of your life will be. Because if you are not prepared, you are going into custody um, really behind the, the eight ball, if you will. I don't think there's a good analogy for it, but you're not going into custody in the mind set to really do well at that environment. And I think she needs the time and privacy to make that mental shift. But I also wonder if she's going to lean into making sure people don't forget about her while she's gone. I guess we'll see. Yeah. And which currency does she value? She's talking about making restitution based on projects she couldn't specifically name. And there is a currency here to Jen Shaw, maybe not something she can monetize in the way that she was implying she could to the court. There is a notoriety here. Maybe her leaving through the front, which again, we don't know. Maybe it was security saying you got to go public or something. I don't, I can't imagine that, but it is entirely possible that that was the case or someone got confused and, oh, all those cameras are there. That's the only way I got to go. Mom, I'll see you in five. Like, I don't know what happened. So I, I can't assume that this was uh, a choice she was making in order to be seen. But I do also think that there is a currency in notoriety Yes, and maybe she can't cash in a way in, in a way to help the victims recoup some of the money she stole, but there is a way for her to cash in without getting in trouble with the court in terms of like making money. Like there, Jen is okay cashing certain checks now, albeit ones that don't exist at an actual bank in terms of this kind of fame and infamy. And I have to wonder, you know, I someone was asking this, I think, at last night's AG Live, and I've gotten Satchels of Gold similarly, like, 
there was an and has been a continued awful lot of conversation around did Erica know was Erica complicit did Erica benefit and coach Shaw albeit someone who's a husband he's not a housewife we haven't spent that time with him we don't know him he's a supporting character but what do you think about the ways that coach Shaw hasn't faced that critique and also what is the effect of this going to be on him. I think we learned a lot this week and it got overlooked a bit in the in the Jen Shaw of it all, but Coach Shaw was offered up by Jen in text message to help lie to federal agencies. This is someone who is a lawyer that worked as a lawyer until 2012 and was advised or was offered to advise on this. I don't think Jen would just make that offer if he wasn't or didn't know and have these conversations. Because if you're trying to protect your spouse, it's like, well, we can't ask Coach Shaw. We're keeping him completely out of the loop. She was almost offering him to uh, Stuart Smith, like, hey, Coach Shaw can help us figure this out. So I don't think Coach Shaw didn't know, especially once they're going through FTC depositions. You're a lawyer and your wife is going through federal depositions, you know. And then when her co-conspirators get arrested, she's texting everybody. There's no way they're not having that conversation. How involved he is, we don't know, but we know that he is aware. I still don't know how aware Erica was of what of what her husband was doing. She benefited. I just don't know if she was aware because the legal community wasn't aware there were so many people caught unaware by Tom Girardi. It It's easier for me to believe that Erica was one of those people than to believe that she wasn't because I think Tom kept it within the law firm and she was just the wife that was kind of like, you know, I pay your bills. Don't ask me any questions. I, I can obviously see that happening. So I think the criticism that Erica gets is based largely on her behavior since she found out and her behavior on the show. And she wilds out on people on social media and coach Shaw keeps it quiet. He's not on social media clapping back at people. And we've seen him on the show just being supportive of Jen. Like we're going to figure this out. We're going to get through it. Um, so I think their presence on social media impacts it. And I also think we didn't really know what he was doing until now. And nobody's looking at coach going, but he benefited off of this lavish lifestyle, but he did. He benefited as much as Erica benefited. Um, we don't have court documents saying he got a $20 million loan to his business, but they're living in the Shaw Chalet um, mm -hmm. based on, on her funds, which is what's being said. His lifestyle is being supported by her crimes. So it's interesting to see the different, the different treatment, but also Erica has been a much longer standing housewife and the public has more feelings about her. And I don't know, it's, it's a different, it's, it's a stark difference, isn't it? It is. And I also just wonder what's the next step for him? It, is he going to face the kind of civil lawsuits that Erica faced of people coming to recoup, like, you know, aside from what we just saw happen today? I would be surprised. I would be surprised if we do. Why? Well, the money's harder to trace. With Tom Girardi, the money's still hard to trace, but the money's going through the law firm. So when we look at like the scandal earrings, the bankruptcy court has a check that's written directly out of a client trust account for the, the scandal earrings. And so it's easier to start tracing these things through the law firm that owes a duty of care to these clients. 
the the defrauded clients, it really is that it's fraud, but it's really hard to say the spouse was an aider and a better of this fraud. And then when you look at civil liability, what's the civil, what's the civil remedy there? He's not a member of the business. Yes, he might have benefited, but that should be disengorged in restitution and in forfeiture. So it's going to be harder to go after him than after Erica. But even then, not all of these civil cases are successful against Erica and have been successful against Erica. So we're going to continue to see that fight in court with Erica as well, where they're trying to pull money back into the law firm or into the personal bankruptcy. And Erica's trying, I think, to hold on to it to pay off to pay off the IRS and whatever other shoe may drop. So it's it's harder, but I think Erica's going to end up having her income substantially impacted going forward, trying to pay down these debts. And we're going to see the same thing with Coach Shaw trying to pay down this restitution. And we saw it with Teresa. Teresa paid the restitution for her and Joe. So I think we're going to see Coach holding the financial bag, but I don't know if the, the public's really going to turn on him. And I think after... Jen is, you know, off the show and in prison. I don't think we'll see much from Coach Shaw. Do you? I don't think we'll see him on social and and things like that. I just don't. No, I I don't think that's the kind of person he wants Mm -mm. to portray, uh, you know, on any kind of like public communication like that. He seems like a pretty private person, although he married Jen. So there is like the idea of a opposites attracting but then there is also whatever this is which I can't really entirely figure out like when we first met coach Shaw it was you know the pep talks and he seemed almost like an angel for supporting Jen in her way and like kind of getting through all of it with her but then when you remember that this is an active choice that this man is making I just don't I I can't make heads or tails of it because to me, Jen is toxic in all of the ways. And what we saw today was a part of a reckoning for her and and an accountability that she took today that I've never really seen her take on housewives that even today understanding and believing she's very upset and I'm sure she has remorse I do not believe that the Jen Shaw that I saw today is the real Jen Shaw I just think it is one of many that exists so with coach Shaw he's been consistent I believe that he's probably a decent guy I just also can't make heads or tails of if he's been married to her for so long, I don't know. I, this is the worst thing that I'm going to say today, but like, how decent can you be? Was he hoodwinked in the way that the victims were? He was, as the judge himself said, a very successful lawyer. As the government said, she didn't need to do this. She had enough money. She likely didn't need to work at all. He was providing for the family with his work, and yet she chose this. The government said, you know, there were people involved in this fraud who were lazy, who weren't good at it. It says something to her work ethic. But she went that in. She worked. She went in. She worked so hard. She worked her way up. Talk about, you know, right. girl started boss. at the bottom. Now we're here. For real. She, she, she started also as girl an boss too close to the sun. Her and Elizabeth Holmes are going to are going to have a very interesting time together in federal prison. 
can't wait for that book. But it comes down to like, it, you know, there was a, an explanation and a reasoning of how much good Jen has done in the world, if not, you know, through these crimes that she has stood as an advocate for people inside of her community and culture, in her family as the matriarch, standing up for women's issues. That was a phrase that was used, LGBTQ causes as an uh, as someone um, proclaiming uh, that information about uh, being anti-racist. And I'm just listening to these things and I'm just thinking like, how good of an ally to women are you if you are tracking down and hunting for cash from vulnerable older women who you are preying on because you know they don't have an understanding of the computer, so you suck them dry. It's like we're pretending that she's really charitable here, but that direct audience that right. you're saying is an exact example of her goodness is the exact audience that she preyed upon. So, like, how great oh, – talk about, you know, you don't support other women. I mean, <laughs> Jen Shaw, you don't really support other victims. Victims now, do you? Her actions definitely contradict, and even her actions in liking tweets against Brooks Marks um, contradict mm, being yeah being an ally. Um, it's an interesting thing because as we're talking about Coach, Coach signed on one has to imagine to doing this show with her after the FTC investigation and after her co-defendants were arrested. Those Yikes. things happened before this show started filming jen shaw was freaking the fuck out in text messages about other arrests and hiding computers and moving things offshore before the show started to film and yet she persisted in <laughs> filming this show and in this fraud it's wild that choice to me is wild so when we talk about the the choices how do you have that conversation with your spouse of like Hey, there's um there's some really big skeletons in the closet and the feds have been sniffing around for years and the code defense have been arrested. Reality TV then? Like what? What? Yeah, and this reality TV is a real bad thing that's showing her in such a terrible way and is also maybe inspiring people to show a life and a lifestyle that they may maybe don't have or XYZ whatever else and yet you've been doing this for so damn long prior. I can't believe in the way that I might have previously that a part of the con is in presenting a lifestyle well above one that you can afford. I cannot believe that that influenced her decision to participate in this stuff because as the government said, like, LOL, yeah. this has been going on for so much longer than she's been on the and show. probably is part of why she was cast, right? The extravagant lifestyle and the 9,000 square foot Shaw Chalet. Oh, this man. is why you're casting people. You're casting them for this unrealistic slice of life. This is what we used to enjoy in Housewives. And now it's almost like... There's parts of it that you're like, oh, ick. I can't admire the jewelry in the cars because you're sitting there going, where did it all come from, though? And the way that they've all started coming for each other's businesses and did you have this filing and what about that filing? And we've seen housewife after housewife have things brought out into the light and going, well, maybe the money's not exactly what it says it is. I don't know. It, it's starting to feel like maybe the show's just an allegory for for the the American dream that's really maybe not as shiny as it as it uh, as it purports to be. 
But speaking of that, when it comes to the American dream and also the dream as a Bravo viewer of watching escapist TV, what do you think of the conversation around potential guilt or like spiritual complicity and understanding now the cost of the way that Jen presented herself to the world in Salt Lake and then the world to us? Like, should we how how are we supposed to feel at this point? I don't, I, well, I'm not going to tell anyone how to feel. I personally feel a bit conflicted with all of it because I enjoy reality TV, but a lot of it doesn't feel like escape anymore. It just really does. Maybe I need to read more. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel because I loved the escapism and I started watching reality TV back pre Jersey shore with like, with Paris and Nicole mm. running around going, what's a Walmart? Because it was funny and it was it was new and it was different. The real world, you know, you put all these strangers in a house and you just watch their lives. And we all, I'm nosy. I like, it's why I liked fraud cases. You're going through people's bank accounts half the time. I'm nosy. And I like to see kind of behind, behind the curtain a little bit. And that's what housewives used to be. I don't know if it feels like it's behind the curtain. It feels like everybody's in on the game now. And it feels like watching people trying to play 3D chess with what somebody said on social and what this person leaked to this person and this person's DMing stories about that other person. It has changed so much from just rolling cameras in the lives of women in extraordinarily affluent neighborhoods. It is it has changed so much since then. So I don't I don't know how I feel. It's something that I do think about though. Like how how far do we go down this rabbit hole before? this all starts to implode. But then you see at BravoCon how deeply connected people are to their favorite Bravo lebs and mm -hmm. how shiny everyone is in person and how they're able to walk in the highest heels I've ever seen with open <laughs> bars backstage. It's in, it's it's wild. It's like, it's like stupid human tricks. Like how do you walk in such large heels with such spindly little, I don't know, I can't do it. But it's just, there's something about the, the, you know, accessible celebrity that we love with Bravo Labs. It's different than a traditional movie A-list celebrity. And I think our culture's perspective of celebrity has changed with the internet and with TikTok and with YouTube. Our perception of celebrity is different. We want accessible celebrities and Bravo gives us plenty of them. But at what cost is really the question. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if only some of this was scripted. If only Jen nobody would wasn't believe real. it. <laughs> Be like you're reaching too far. <laughs> nobody would believe it, but I don't know that Bravo would come up with a storyline this dark. It's like the reality is at the end of the day. I wish that this wasn't real. Jen Shaw might be the realest real housewife that we have ever had. Because when has there been such a pure and understandable? peek into a, another person's cruelty and uh, just kind of sense of bad. I mean, she really, she defrauded and, and sought after people she knew would not know they had been wronged until it was too late and delighted in that. And then when and they I started just... to ask to keep it going, when people are like, I want right. to charge back, I've been frauded to keep you need a new car keep going that is it's specific but you also see how charmed the women are by her they forgive her again and again and again and there is something to be said by people who are going to perpetrate fraud 
is that oftentimes they are very charming and very likable. And there's a reason you're convinced and there's a reason that you trust. And Jen is a charming individual. So I'm not surprised that the cast is so conflicted and that the audience finds itself so conflicted. And even when Andy heard of her guilty plea that he seemed conflicted, like on his radio show, he's mm-hmm. like, I don't quite know how to process this because, because it's somebody that you've interacted with personally and maybe have had good interactions with. And then they're, they're saying that they're innocent this whole time. And I think people wanted to believe her and buy into her own hype. And then for her to turn around and plead guilty, people are like, wait, what? And I think that's the first time people started to see the other Jen Shaw that the government was saying all along, it's here, it's here, it's here. Here's fraud Jen Shaw. Y'all are just looking at fun Jen. You're not looking at fraud Jen, but fun Jen allows fraud Jen to happen. So we're back to, you know, the the person that's defrauding little old ladies is the same person screaming at Mary, calling her a grandpa fucker. It's like, are we, are we really surprised at the end of the day? It doesn't, it doesn't leave a person feeling great. I'm no. going to say that it was, it was, uh, I don't, I can't call it really didn't feel like a circus this morning in any way. It just felt honestly, I I'm like thinking about it and it just leaves a person feeling slightly odd. And a lot of that doesn't have to do necessarily with the experience of being a Bravo fan or someone, you know, covering it in 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 some way or as a content creator I just feel odd about the ways that Jen benefited from housewives like the ways that Jen enabled herself to be rewarded for what we understand is a foundation of crime like she would have been a private individual who would have been arrested and all this other stuff and wouldn't have would have certainly gotten attention but it wouldn't have been this it would have been it's local. like we gave her the yeah yeah it would have been local attention but would she have been on the show but for these crimes and i think the answer is 100 percent no 100 no. percent no that's the difficulty that I have in the defense and in what the judge said ab- about her in terms of like, would she have been on the show without this? No. But also, would these crimes have been as successful as they were without her? No. And it's like, it's that kind of through line of like at the center of all of this in the worst possible way is Jen. And it leaves me just kind of feeling discomfort because I know there is not a market for her above board, which is the only board she will be allowed from this point on if she's a smart cookie, which she certainly is, to make do like the the money that is owed and it just makes me feel like she is still going to get paid because she's going to get attention which is the currency she seems to be connected with more than anything else she surely understood that by joining real housewives it would put such a large spotlight on her and also make her more valuable maybe to uh you know prosecutors who wouldn't who would have gone after her but are going now after a very big fish and knowing that they're going to win like it, it it is a uncomfortable kind of circumstance to really wrap your head around when it comes to the psychology behind this because it really does not say anything good about Jen and what is the market 
for Jen six years from now? I mean, what does housewives even look like six years from now? I don't think there's a coming back to housewives when she gets out of custody, but what, what is that? I mean, what does that look like? She's going to celebrate her 50th birthday in custody. She's 49 years old now. What does it look like trying to rebuild your life and your reputation in your mid late fifties after being convicted of fraud? Like, I don't know what that looks like for her and we'll see. Yeah, she's got obviously um, a very, you know, particular special set of skills. I don't know that she is as interested in using them for good because good does not necessarily provide the lifestyle to which Jen has become accustomed. So it will be interesting to see the difference in how Jen is forced to or chooses to live when this is all said and done. Yeah, there will I be think a big that... reset on the lifestyle she's become accustomed to, even in minimum security prison. There will be a large reset. Yeah, and what does it mean if there isn't? Aside from the fact yeah. that stuff might be taken away, if she's still looking for that, doesn't that tell you a little bit about who Jen that's a, that's a very fair, that's a very fair point. Um, that's a very fair point. It's, it will be interesting. It, I mean, hopefully we'll just be having these conversations still, cause it'll be, it will be interesting to see. And it's interesting to see what's going to happen with coach. And we're still not nearly at the end of Girardi. And what does this mean for housewives franchises? I mean, and their, and their process of selecting people, are they more careful about it now? Or are they like, look, these were our best ratings ever because with Salt Lake City, I'm not super encouraged that they're allowing a storyline week after week after week of did somebody assault Heather or not? Did did someone actually punch her in the face? What happened with this black eye? It also makes me uncomfortable. So we've gotten into this point with Salt Lake City where I'm like, oh, it's this isn't whether or not someone was assaulted is not storyline, but it is. It is the storyline. And they're letting it go and go and go. So I don't know. I, it makes all of it makes me uncomfortable at this point. Yeah, it's the difference between reacting and creating. And you would think that Housewives is, is in a position seemingly not knowing what was going on with Jen's legal situation and her crime and until the FBI showed up at Beauty Lab. So there's a reaction there of we're on reality TV. But with the Heather stuff, it does seem to be this weird fucked up gray area of creating a storyline creating complications and chaos around what we are being led to believe may or may not have been a violent assault. And in, in light of what is going on with Jen, even if she hadn't changed her plea at that point, to think that this is a good form of entertainment, even just from the perspective of production, the network edit, yeah, to make the choice to include all of the things that Heather is saying that are in direct opposition of each other, it does add, I'm sure, to the feeling of discomfort so many of us have. Um, but you know how I'm feeling about this episode? Hashtag blast, <laughs> Emily DeMaker. You know I could talk to you forever. Uh -huh. I honestly feel like I'm in legal therapy right now, which is a place that I want to be is that in a thing? whenever We're it is it now. A thing. It's a thing. Well, I I mean, according to Jen, she's gonna find new ways of seeking treatment for being bad. And I, I honestly, I know there's people who feel like it's too light, but it's she's going to federal prison. It it it's going this is going to upend her life and her family's life the way that the victims have been upended. And so even though it feels light, it's not going to feel light to her. This is still a big, a big, a big chunk. So, I mean, we get to go to bed in our own, 
our own beds for the next five years, God willing. And we get to live our lives with the people that we love and hopefully continue to see them in person. And hopefully I'll be in New York soon. My biggest disappointment of not being in New York to see this in person, because I love to be in a courtroom when I'm not the one who has to stand up and do the sentencing, was not getting to hang with you. I'm so I know. My we were was guys, so real. We were going to be seat buddies. Yes, we had a we whole We were going to be in the office yes. after. We had a whole plan, but it's going to happen. And unfortunately, there will be another trial. So well, whether or not be. you're here in New York for something <laughs> housewives related or not, I would love to have you over and do a proper turtle time with some champs, with some sparkling whatever in the cloth and have a little soiree. Did I, tell I mean, you, we deserve. Tell me. I got to drink champagne with Heather Dubrow at BravoCon. <gasps> was it Colette? Tell me. What was the champs? That's was, like my number one most important. It was, yes, oh, it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yellow label? What was it? It was the yellow yeah. label or the orangish, yeah. the orangish yeah, yeah, yeah. label. But it was the most ridiculous moment. We had, I had been talking to Emily Simpson. She walked up and Emily's like, oh no, this mm -hmm. is Emily. She does legal stuff. And Heather's like, oh, so I don't want you to ever talk about me. I'm like, generally yes unless you like sue someone for defamation and then maybe it's helpful I... if I talk about you but generally I think you I generally think that's how people feel about me as like I want to hear what you say about other people but please don't talk about me and I mm. she happened to be drinking champagne because of course I happened to be drinking champagne because of course and I was like can we just do a cheers and like fulfill my whole like life circle right now and she's like oh. of course cheers she was absolutely charming but it was like on my highlight wall of BravoCon was like, how ridiculous is it that I drank champagne with other people? I don't know what BravoCon is and what my life is, but it was, it was an, it was a nice moment. We had some nice housewives moments. <laughs> that was a bucket list moment. It is. It I really mean, is. I think is if, iconic. if Heather Dubrow is ever going to do like a, and I don't think she would ever need to or want to, but if she ever does um, like the fan experiences where you go to the convention and you can be at the, yes. she has to just sit there and sell like $25 tickets. Everybody gets a little plastic glass of champs and gets to come up and just clink champagnes and take pictures with her. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would it line up for her. She would make day. so much money. Talk yeah. about somebody who doesn't, uh, to our understanding, doesn't need any cash. I, that would be incredibly successful. Yep. I would do it. Oh <laughs> anyway, God. sorry. Emily, we were wrapping. It's no, I never want to wrap. I, I'm so appreciative for you hopping on. And guys, you need to watch the AG live, which we recorded last night, a moment, which you can watch right now for the next couple days until next Thursday. I think that's the 11th. Just watch the show. It's at moment.co slash Andy's girls. Ryan Bailey and I react to Rinna's announced departure, which happened an hour before the live Rinna. show. So you get our in real time reaction and a and a deep dive from Emily about all things Jen Shaw, how this affects uh, the nature of Housewives and so much more because we had a great conversation during the show itself and the reaction from people in the chat yeah. was like a prestige. So I am so Thanks. thankful for you joining because it was honestly fantastic. Thank you. I, I just I have to wonder if Rena dropped that because she wanted to get ahead of the Jen Shaw news cycle. Or because or, she knew it would only be a 24-hour cycle and then Jen Shaw would take it over and it would be like, oh, Rena's leaving and then move on. I can't tell which it is, but she had to not, like there's no way she doesn't know that Jen Shaw's sentencing is taking over today's news cycle when she announces this yesterday. It's an odd choice. 
It's an odd choice, one of many that Rinna has made. So at least she's consistent in that. Um, yeah. Guys, again, you can watch that live show on demand at moment.co slash Andy's Girls. There's not only the live show itself, but an after show where Ryan and I did AG Book Club. I did a tour of the Clawfest. Mm. We did Ultimate Girls Trivia and continue the conversation about, obviously, all things Housewife Psych. So go on over to Moment and watch that fun. And and PSP's gonna going on over to things. The AG Patreon is gonna have a deep dive about oh my god, so much of the coverage of what I got in these notes about being at the Jenton Sing. So head on over to patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. There's going to be a supersized uh bonus app about all things Jen Shaw and more. Obviously, I'll also be doing some shit on social about this at Dame Galley and Emily D. Baker. Tell the people about the Emily show. Tell the people about what you got cooking on the YouTube. Tell the people about what's going on on the gram, all that and more. Absolutely. You can find me everywhere at the Emily D. Baker. The show is the Emily show podcast. It drops every Wednesday. I do deep dives into all of your entertainment, pop culture, legal things and Coming up at the end of January, we've got another live trial day-to-day gavel-to-gavel coverage of the Murdoch case. It is a wild case out of South Carolina, a disgraced lawyer, think Tom Girardi, less money, more murder. It's wild. So the murder trial is starting at the end of January, and I will be covering that every single day over on YouTube. Not a lot of information is out on this case. There was a year between the murder and the arrest. He's accused of murdering his wife and son. It is a very sad and very interesting case. The prosecutor thinks that the motive for the murders was all of the fraud going on before. So it is going to be a very interesting trial. So if you enjoy live trial coverage, um, I will be doing that like I did for the Depp v. Heard case. Probably less quippy because murder. I mean... Well, there's also that limited series. Was it on HBO Max or Netflix or something? Low Country? There's a few series on the Murdoch okay. case. It's, there's there's so much in this case. He's got over 99, and I'm not making up that number because I want to say 99 problems, but he's got over 99 <laughs> indictments. From, oh, my God. Yes. From these murder cases, he there's a suicide for hire plot where he hired someone to kill him, and he was shot, but then he... Did not they missed did, yeah, not did not die. die. Um, it's just it's one of the wildest. You could not write this. And every time they do a docu-series on it, it's not done yet. So the docu-series, some of them were done before he was arrested for the murder of his wife and son. Um, it, it's just it's wild. So the Murdoch case is what I'm really covering uh, most of this month and into February. It's gonna be it's going to be a lot of information, a lot of new information. And I've been covering the Idaho cases, while I do cover some mm. crime cases that everyone's talking about, just to bring my experience as a criminal attorney to kind of demystifying that, taking the rumors out of it and just going with what we know and what's evidence. And P.S. that that um, mini series or limited series, rather, or docu series, some kind of series is Low Country, the Murdoch Dynasty. It's on HBO Max. And I watched it at some point, did a Patreon about it. And it's really it's so fucked up. That that family is bad. You can't it's write like, it. And they're like a hundred years of the head prosecutor in their county. Like this is old Southern money. The judge is the most um, mm. statuesque man. And he has this smooth Southern accent. And he's just like, 
counsel. Now I know you're not telling me that we're going to do this. And so the judge is delightful. His courtroom has a picture of the defendants, like great granddaddy on the wall that they had to have a hearing about whether we take the, the grandfather's portrait off the wall for the murder trial. The judge's bench is like a throne of leather. (laughs) It's, it's just, everyone has a very, slow South Carolina Southern accent. And it is, it's like watching, I don't know, mystery science theater or something. It's, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely wild. And then this is a family torn because, because a member of their family's in custody accused of killing other members of the family. It's Mm. wild. And the, the defense attorneys are also elected state officials and are absolutely theatrical, absolutely theatrical. They are like, pounding on the table objection your honor the state's doing this it is it's gonna be feisty it's gonna be feisty well I literally need to see your reaction to all of this because that family is like and it's the murder is um not shall we say super centralized around no a single member of the family so yeah it's 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 really it's really really um, in-depth stuff. So I hope to walk everybody through that. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a, a different type of courtroom drama that we saw play out in debt versus mm-hmm. heard, but live trial coverage is always fascinating. You can't make up what's happening in court. And unlike debt be heard where so much of the evidence was known, there's not a lot known about what the police know about this case. It's been very, very close to the vest. So we've got big arguments over things like blood spatter and and evidence and and multiple weapons being used and so it's going to be fascinating anyway that was a long way of answering there's going to be live trial coverage coming up on my youtube channel and the podcast is always on your favorite podcasting (laughs) and i have to say back in the spring when i was literally almost dying in the icu you know what i was doing when i got my phone back was watching emily d baker on youtube Prior to that, when I was able to go outside and walk and after the fact, when I was laid up in bed throughout the summer, you know who I was watching for an escape is Emily D. Baker. And to go from the perspective of being the content creator who people send lovely notes to, which I I find incredibly appreciative and very meaningful of like, I was going through this thing in my life and you really helped me. Emily D. Baker, not to get emo, and I'm literally trying very, very hard not to get verklempt. You were that one for me. Like, and guys, just so you know, I told Emily that I was like, thank you for giving me an escape during a really difficult time. And you sent me a fucking voice note of like inside tea or something. of something to come <laughs> relating to Depp Heard because you knew that I would enjoy it and appreciate it. And that is the kind of person you are. That's also the kind of creator you are. And it is why I am so appreciative for you being so generous with your time and also most especially, obviously, your talent because you have a way of translating these things, but you're also one of us. Like you understand Bravo. You also understand the law and you have a way of translating both of them for um, any kind of audience that I find incredibly fantastic. And I just want to thank you again for spending the week with me, Emily T. Baker. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I just, I enjoy you. I love these conversations. I love the way you're not afraid to just talk. Let's talk through it. Let's just talk through what we're seeing. And, and I appreciate that. And there's, there's a lot of space for that in podcasting, but there's 
it feels like there's not as much space for that in the world. And I love that you're just standing firm and you're like, no, we talk about things and we're going to talk about reality TV and we're going to talk about the real world too. And we just, we need to, and yeah. I appreciate you. So I'm, I'm happy to, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to, to be on your YouTube a little bit. So thank you. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I only subscribe to you. I like only what? recently got like a, yeah, literally. <laughs> Like nice. <laughs> yeah. I, that's so wild to me because I watch so much YouTube and so oh like God. people will find me in random spots of the internet and I'll get DMs like I saw you commenting on this creator's video I'm like oh y'all see me so because I watch so much YouTube and there's so many that. creators I like and then my audience is like wait you're over here too girl you're just like awesome like <laughs> I am though but I am though this is I I talk about the stuff that I love because because I'm blessed to get to do that. So yeah, I am. I'm with all of you. I'm watching it all go down too and going, girl, what? <laughs> I do have to say this does remind me before we wrap. So the the seat, the like row that I was in in court, it was someone from People, someone from The Sun, me, someone from Interview, someone from the US, uh, USA Today. And so it was like this little crew of us like jotting down stuff. But prior to that, when I was hanging out on the bench, there was someone that came up the elevator and they just came straight toward me and they said, Sarah Galley, I just saw Jen Shaw. And a reporter from MB News immediately, NBC News immediately came over, started asking her questions, clarifying this, blah, 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 blah. And she's giving him information. And I took a moment and I was like, I'm sorry, did you just say my name? Like, yes. what's what's happened? And it's because she was an AG and knew Love immediately. That. And it was like picking up the conversation like anything else. And and th those are the kinds of moments that are so fantastic because we all speak this language. Yes. We all get it. Even if somebody from NBC is dipping his toes in the pond. Tries to swoop on your conversation. But that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing about what we get to do is we get to talk with our communities in a really different and special way. And it's what I love so much. It's just what I love so much. I love getting to sit down and have that conversation. And because at the end of the day, we're just reality TV fans that want to have a conversation about what's going on. And I love that. Totally. That's also why last night was such a fucking delight and a joy because it was the greatest um, example and translation of the community effect that I also feel that spirit and vibe when I'm yeah. recording, including during solo episodes where it's like it's never actually monologuing. It's never actually solo because you can feel the community that surrounds you. And that is why I love doing this shit. It's just fucking why I love it. Emily I love D. It Baker. Too. Listen, you're coming back on AG ASAP. We're going to talk about some shit. I want to get your thoughts from the Emily D.B. Emily DB, Emily yep. DB Baker, Emily DB 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 from your perspective as someone who has some questions about Heather, who has some questions about what's going on over here and over there as well. I want to get your thoughts because I know that you're watching this stuff and I know that you have many, all of which I'd love to hear. So hopefully that happens yes, very let's soon. Let's do it. We'll do and I have questions. We'll go through all the questions soon. Oh my God. Would literally yes. die. Would die. Thanks again to Emily for joining us and we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye.